And I see retirement as that shove off the top of the mountain into this beautiful blue water. And as you're going down, it might take, I don't know, four seconds. And you have, it's an infinite amount of time to think, oh my God, what have I just done? Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by PlanWell, BeWell. PlanWell, BeWell is a place that connects your financial well-being to your personal well-being. It's a place to inspire and learn, to define your aspirations, to begin articulating what well-being looks like for you, and a place to provide the financial tools needed to achieve your financial goals and live your intended life. Because when you plan well, you can be well, now and in the future. To learn more, visit planwellbewell.com. Today on the Breaking Money Silence podcast, we have a special guest. She is a friend, a colleague of mine, Marsha Mantel. She has over 30 years of experience helping the country's foremost financial services firms and advisors increase their knowledge of complex retirement concepts. And what I really like about Marsha is she has an incredible ability to translate those concepts into everyday language in order to educate people and to motivate people to take the right steps to achieve the retirement they desire. Recently, in 2021, she was named one of the experts in financial services who push the industry forward by Think Advisor. Yay, Marsha. And she is the founder of Mon- uh, Montel. <laughs> she is the founder of Mantel Retirement Consulting. She's an author and she has a blog. Welcome, Marsha. Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen. What a fun introduction. <laughs> well, I am excited to have this conversation because we are talking today about the retirement realities and negotiating around retirement. And I think sometimes people don't even know that retirement and what that's going to look like can be negotiated. So tell me a little bit about your experience helping advisors or helping uh, people that you're educating understand that there's a difference between the fantasy of, ooh, I'm going to retire. It's going to be one big party versus the reality. You have hit it you know, out of the ballpark with that, Kathleen, because that's exactly what I hear, that couples and individuals are happily working, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're doing whatever it is they're, they've built their career, you know, for like 40 years. It's like, oh yeah, and I'm going to retire in December. Fabulous. What are you going to do? Dead silence. No idea. Like, no idea. It's like, well, I'm just going to stop working. It's like, well, okay, but what are you going to do? And the fallback answer is always to a T, it's travel. It's like, oh, that's great. Where are you going? Oh, I'm going to do three weeks in the national parks. I'm going to go to Europe for a month. Outstanding. What are you going to do for the next 30 years minus one month? <laughs> and they, it, it really, it's the deer in the headlights. You know, they have no idea, never thought about it. And now you sort of challenge them. And sometimes it's the, usually it's the wife, if this is a couple, nudging the husband with the elbow, you know, the pointy elbow <laughs> you know, nudge that it's like, see, told you. Um, 
but it's it's not anything people really think about you they need to climb that mountain i try to use a lot of visuals with both advisors and consumers and you you have been going up the mountain you've done this amazing climb and now you get to the top of the mountain how you go how you getting down and i see retirement as that shove off the top of the mountain into this beautiful blue water and as you're going down it might take i don't know four seconds and you have it's an infinite amount of time to think oh my god what have i just done <laughs> and you hit the water and you're retired so now what well that's interesting so before we even get into now what what i'm curious about because we're breaking money silence on it is why do you think this is a taboo topic why do you think couples don't talk about this well partly i'm not sure couples talk about a whole lot of things but there's a lot in the word retirement, there's a lot packaged in there that once you open that Pandora's box, there's a whole lot of conversation to be had. And sometimes it's just plain avoidance. So it's things like all the years you've had together that things didn't go well. Well, of course, that will come up. I often lead with that kind of strategy. And Dan will say, that happened in 1983. Do we still need to bring it up? So you know, some of these unresolved issues. Then your another piece is you can't really believe you're here. Like, you know, I just turned 60 last month and, and it's great. I had my birthday crown on. I'm celebrating I love that it. picture. That was awesome. Thank you. And it's really a great thing. Like, wow, I got to 60. On the other hand, it's, oh dear God, how did I get here? You know, so you're grappling with that and each person addresses that or denies it in their own way. One might be enthusiastic, the other's not so enthusiastic about it. And then the last piece, the big hidden or the big elephant in the room really, is retirement does mean you're aging. And the aging topics can be really sensitive. If you haven't been talking about them and jostling them about for lots of years anyway, those are hard to get into let alone the dying conversation. So these are much bigger topics. When we get to retirement, it's not only about what you're going to do or how much you saved or how much you didn't save or when to claim social security. All those come in too. Those are real tactical things. But now you move into that emotional realm. And I think it's very hard for some couples, especially if they spent most of their marriage separate, not in a bad way. It's just he built his career, she built her career. And now you're coming together to talk about really personal things that aren't the kids, the puppies and the kitties. So it's a new territory that we're not always prepared for. Right. And I, I think you really address some of the things that are taboo, the death and dying, certainly. Hopefully that won't happen right out of the gate in retirement, but it's certainly part of the conversation, as well as just coming together and creating a new reality. And that can be exciting, but often when we're creating something new and transitioning, there's some bumps in the road. So what are the conversations that you encourage people to have? And I say people, not couples, because anybody who's listening in that's not in a relationship, you should still be considering these things and still have a conversation maybe with an advisor or a trusted friend to kind of work some of this stuff through. Yeah, these conversations are super important. You need to have them, whatever means you have and whomever you want to talk to about this. One thing I will say about those of us on the cusp of retiring now, and even pretty much all the baby boomers, those who are even older than I am, we don't have role models to follow. It's really much easier if you have someone, oh, my parents did it this way or, or whatever. That was such a different era mm -hmm. 
that we don't have that to be our starting point. So this is truly a blank slate. So some of the questions that I encourage advisors to get comfortable talking to their clients about are, what do you want to do? So whoever the individual is, and if it's part of a couple, there's a he and a she or a she and a she or a he and a he. Each individual, what do they want to do for this back half, this second chapter, this third chapter, whatever you want to call retirement? But then it's, what do you want to do together? And those are two very different questions. And you'll get very different answers. Now, one of the things I just loved, a number of years ago, um, I came across a study that Fidelity Investments had done. And with spouses in particular, they were talking about who wants to spend more time together in retirement, because there's a lot of this togetherness idea, the the myth or the fantasy, as you called it. Um, And the results were that 60% of men wanted to spend more time with their spouse but only 43% of women wanted to do the same. I was going to guess that because in my own relationship, and I love, I mean, I have a great marriage. I love my husband. Yes. Uh, but there are times where I'm like, okay, this was a lot of togetherness. Like I could use a night out with the girlfriends or I could, you know, I haven't taken a business trip in forever because of yes. the pandemic. I could use an overnight business trip just to have some down and alone time. And again, Absolutely. this is a good marriage. Yes. So I think Mine that's too. such a great question is like, where are you going to spend time? Who are you going to spend time with? And, yep. and what's that going to look like? And mm-hmm. so this isn't just for advisors, although it applies coaching yep. other people. This is also for you listening, saying, this is something I really need to think about and eventually talk to my partner about. It really is. There are two quick stories I have for you on this front that I think illustrate it really well. There were a number of years ago, I met a couple after doing a presentation about getting ready to make this transition into retirement. And they came up and were asking me some questions. So I said to them, they looked quite young. And I said, well, when are you thinking of retiring? And he said, well, we're retired. Turns out he was a pilot. He got caught up in one of those situations at one point when whatever airline was downsizing. So the older pilots got this early buyout. I said, oh my gosh, that's great. How's it going? And he's standing there with his wife and they look at each other and (laughs) she says, I was a flight attendant. He was a pilot. We got married for four days on, three days off. (laughs) It's like this, this, you know, 24-7 is not working for us. So they were very honest and upfront, like that's a huge change. And even if it wasn't four days off or, you know, for you and me, we used to travel when we could travel and you've got two or three days away. It's even if it's just eight to five, you have your thing and he has his thing, you know, so it's very different in that, in that retirement realm. So that's, you know, that's a big piece of what we have to face. And it often comes at you really fast, especially in this era, if you're taking early retirement packages that are offered or if your company's downsizing or whatnot. But there's this one other woman whose husband was a physician and they spent their entire marriage. She raised the five kids and did some teaching. He's a physician. So they had very different schedules and very different time together. And I asked him, when is he thinking about retiring? Being a physician's really demanding job. And she answered for him saying, when he figures out a hobby, because he is not going to sit in my kitchen all day. <laughs> you know, so there, it's like, that was just so real to me. Like, oh yeah, where, where is he going to go? He didn't know either. So. 
Well, and, you know, we're laughing and giggling about it, but I have watched a lot of uh, my friends retire and certainly talk not as much as you do professionally, but a little bit about this. And I do think that it's worth thinking it through. And even if you don't 100% know, at least you are planning for the fact that whatever we try, first of all, it's okay to not be together 100%. Yes. Especially if that was not your relationship for the last 40, 50 years. Right. And second of all, that it's okay to adjust, like to try something. And this is what I coach couples around this topic is if you try something, you can always then evaluate in three to six months and say, is this working or is this not working? That yes. it doesn't have to be for all of retirement. No. And I think your time frame is great because people also think, oh, we're going to try cooking together let's say, and we try the first dinner and it's awful. Not the food, the whole process. You're in each other's way. He does it this way. She does it that way. It's just a disaster. You don't get to try just one day. You have to keep working. It's like learning to dance again. You know, you're learning new steps. You're learning a whole new choreography together. And you do have to give these things time. And then after three or six months, if it still stinks, okay, that's not what we're going to do. Better go on to the next. Let's try winemaking next instead. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and the other thing that I see a lot is couples deciding to retire at different times. So it isn't that they're both jumping, to use your metaphor, into the water mm. off of the summit at the same time. It's like one's jumped and kind of treading water and the other one's still <laughs> climbing up the mountain. And so that is a really interesting thing onto itself. Um, you know, in my marriage, I had always thought that that's how it would go for us. You know, we're a couple years out, so I don't know. But my husband would like to retire like <laughs> that. And I, I see myself as kind of a slow descent yes, yes. <laughs> into the water. But how do you handle that? Like, what are the questions or what are the conversations that people should be having when there's a difference in your desire to work and continue to work? Well, I've seen some really great examples of that. So I tend to lead with examples to see, you know, could this work? And they're, interestingly, from a traditional view of marriage and who's retiring first and such, these examples are men who have retired first. So in one case, um, his company was downsizing at age 58. So he, you know, like so many people are shown the door. And now what? You know, but she was a power a corporate person and had no intention of retiring. So they did 12 years where he was retired and he found things to do and he created this new life that wasn't driven by the corporate schedule. So it really did work out well for him. Lots more tennis and um, joining a board. You know, you take the the tool bag that you leave the company with and you get to use it in other places. So he was really good about that. And they talk a lot about what each other was going to do and sort of check in. Like, is he really feeling bad that she's off every day going to the job? There maybe were bumps in the road, but because they would talk about these things and each try different things with their time, or he would, while she had the stability, that anchor, that stability worked really well for them. Another case, um, the, the grandpa decided he wanted to babysit for the grandkids and she's and retire early. And she said, okay. So they had that discussion. Like, is this, can we financially do it? I mean, I know you want to do it, but they went down the financial conversation quite a bit. And when they figured out they could in fact 
have him retire early. And she was happy to keep working at the corporate job. And and he made dinner every night. I think that might be the key in all the magic. If you're going to have... <laughs> I already have that, though. I'm very spoiled. My husband oh. makes dinner every night. Oh, my gosh. Dan's wife makes dinner every night. I know. I've heard Marsha's a great gal. A great gal. <laughs> yeah. So there, there are ways to... Again, you're recreating this era and looking at it not for the next 40 years, this is the, the formula. You look at it for, okay, for these next 10 years, let's see how it goes. Let's chat again at the end of the first six months. Let's see how it's going after a year. And well, and it, what I love about that example is you may have a, a man who was raised, you know, in a society where it wouldn't be okay to just, you know, at the time he was growing up to hang out with the kids. And yeah. so what a great, wonderful opportunity to be able to do that. Um, it really brings up the whole idea of family. Like, you know, so it's your time together, but you know, you often hear people say, well, I wanna spend time with my family or with the grandkids, or I wanna move across country to be closer to so-and-so. And then the other partner may or may not be on board. And, you know, I can imagine, you know, while I love to spend time with family, if Brian said, oh, I wanna move next door to my in-laws, I might say, well, maybe I don't, <laughs> you know, yes. life has been good a little bit further away from them and from my family as well. It's an equal opportunity distance. Absolutely. Same, same over here. Yeah. It's, um, it's a really tricky situation for a lot of people, especially if you're in a second marriage. And so, you know, you may have kids and he may have kids and how do you divvy up time where one spouse isn't thinking the other is getting more time or really time away from them, you know, from each other. So this is uh, one couple has um, grandkids. She has grandchildren on the West Coast and he has children, grandchildren and children on the East Coast and they live on the East Coast. So they've had to create this negotiation where she does go to the West Coast a couple times a year and Usually he doesn't go, but the trade-off is then she agrees to do a more adventurous, like a three-week big adventure tour that he wants. Yep. And they they have really made this work that partly some time away from each other back to that is still good for most couples. And so they get a little bit of time apart and then they get this three-week, you know, real adventure of through Europe and these um, cruises and these river, I mean, they do pretty extravagant travel that she might not normally have done. But this way they came to an understanding that he really wanted that kind of travel. She wanted to see her grands. It works. Well, and what you're talking about is the idea of ne actually negotiating. So looking at what each individual person wants and then negotiating that. So we're going to take a quick break, but afterwards we're going to get a little bit more practical about how to start that conversation and what are some of the things you need to keep in mind when you're negotiating your retirement. So we'll be right back. You know that negotiating your fees and getting paid what you're worth is emotional business. And I know how to help you become a rock star negotiator. So I am offering an exclusive group experience, a masterclass on negotiating for a hand-selected group of businesswomen. So if you're highly motivated, career-driven, and ready to take a deep dive into your money story and learn how to shift sabotaging beliefs so you can earn more, then this masterclass is for you. 
I'm taking applications now and space is limited to eight kick-ass women. You're gonna get individual and group coaching, both facilitated by me, as well as video lessons, handouts, and a bunch of bonuses to help you become the rock star negotiator I know you are. So check it out at breakingmoneysilence.com backslash negotiating hyphen masterclass and register today. I am here today with Marsha Mentel, and we are talking about negotiating in retirement. It's a juicy topic and we have a great expert to help us out. Right before the break, we talked about the idea of really looking at how do you negotiate what you want versus what your partner wants and you know, how to, how to go about doing that. So I'm wondering if we can get into some, maybe some tips and tools about how to start that conversation. And, and let's look at it when you're in retirement. So you're, you're listening to this podcast right now and you're in retirement and you're thinking, this isn't 100% working. And then in a little bit, we'll talk about if you're leading up to retirement, what are the conversations you might want to have? You know, Kathleen, I, knowing I was coming on this podcast, I went out online again and did some poking around to find are there great conversation starters. And for a while, there were, there were some companies that, financial companies in particular, um, coaching is a different piece of the equation. But financial companies, because so much of this, what I want to do is going to cost money. So you've got to bring the money piece in, another taboo topic for so many. And there's very, very little out there. I was so surprised. Um, there had been some workbooks that you could, you know, at least tackle together and say, oh, well, look at, you know, this topic on page seven. Very little. So it comes down to one spouse needs to take that first step, that toe in the water and sit down. And I, I always like it over coffee on Sunday morning, you know, when you're not stressed and not running out the door or wine in the evening, whichever end of the day, you're better. Um, and bring up the conversation. Sometimes it's about what someone else did. And that's always a positive way to start a conversation. Oh, Charlie, you know, did you hear my sister and her husband decided to do a three-week tour in Scotland? Yeah. You know, doesn't that sound fun? You know, so if you can, I don't know the technical term, but it's sort of that deflection, you know, or use someone else as the example. You externalize it so it's oh. not so, yeah, I happen to have a psychology background. Well, so so you're externalizing it by having a story or even a workbook externalizes. It's you talking about something outside yourself and your couplehood makes yes. it less uh, risky or emotionally potentially volatile. Yes, because if you don't take that approach or something that's a positive approach, what you end up with, my experience and observations have been, is that you end up mad, and the person who finally, you know, breaks the dam and has that first conversation, it isn't about, hey, honey, where would you like to travel? It's, you know what? We never get to go anywhere. And all my <laughs> friends are doing all of these great things. And we're sitting here watching Netflix, you know, and then it's anger. And because the frustration has built up. But one thing I have learned with Dan is, you know, we've been married a long time. He, he cannot read my mind. And, and I always thought he could, you know, meaning I, I would get the gift of my yeah. dreams and we'd go to the vacation of my dreams and he would just know this. And we had a big blowout fight years and years ago. And, and finally he said, I can't read your mind. And that stuck like glue. And it's like, 
well, of course he can't. What was I thinking? So once you realize, you know, there's no ill intent between partners and couples and even friends. If you don't speak your mind in a nice way, they have no way of knowing that's what you always wanted to do. Right. Right. No, I I absolutely. And one of the uh, guidelines I have for a good financial conversation is don't mind read. So it's not only they can't read your mind, you shouldn't get into their mind, which is the big (laughs) thing I like to do. You're going to say this next. Well, how do you know? So that that doesn't, you know, you can be an expert, but still make all the mistakes. So part of it is, I think what you're talking about is, is engage in conversations that are fun, that are light, that are kind of just brainstorming. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you have any recommendations if uh, someone does that and then it just doesn't go anywhere or it ends up in anger? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm trying to think if I have any have had conversations with couples, um, less that and more around, I'll call it capitulation that, and I, I see it with where we're going to live. So, you know, for a lot of people, there's a tremendous emotional tie to their family home. And one partner loves that home. It's where they raise their children. It's, you know, the whole family history is there and the other wants to go do something else or move somewhere warmer and and all of that. And there's often, it's just an impasse. And unless you're going to be really extreme and up and leave, I have seen that where they've just split, you know, she goes one place and he stayed there the other way around. That's not very common. I've seen it a few times, but it's more that it's just resignation. The one who wanted to leave is just resigned, you know, fine. The house isn't that bad, you know, and they try to find other ways, you know, to get away to Florida or Arizona for a couple of weeks in the winter or something. Actually, a couple that I know just came to mind and I don't know them super well. I know them from uh, as friends, not necessarily a professional relationship, but uh, he's a skier. So he'll spend the entire ski season here in Vermont and she likes the beach. And so she spends most of the year in Florida. And so what happens is they each get their own enjoyment Yet there are times where they flip. So I don't think, and I don't know if it's a formal arrangement, but I haven't seen her gone for a month and I haven't seen him stay in Florida, you know, and miss ski season for a month. Mm -hmm. So somehow this back and forth and, um, you know, she came to Vermont and threw him a great birthday party. So, you know, the marriage is good. It's just figuring out what do we want in life? How do we make sure our relationship stays the way it needs to be? But for some couples, that works. And I think what we're getting at, Marcia, is different things work for different couples. They do. And this goes back to, for the boomers, we really are pioneers in this thing called retirement. You know, you would not have seen couples in the 40s, retired couples in the 40s, where she's going to Florida and he's never. Up, never. I mean, that just did not happen. And today, with so much technology, you know, even though you might be, you hop on a Zoom call and you can have dinner together, even though you're 1500 miles apart, you know, so there's so much, if you can think about being creative and glean from what other boomers are doing and other retirees are doing, that will spark an idea for you. And it's, you know, unorthodox and we don't know anyone who's done that. It's all right. We're the pioneers. We're heading west, honey. Let's go. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm staying back east. You know, so it's a it can be a really fun era, but it's it is about that conversation. And it doesn't always spark the first try. 
You well, know, that's just, that's with any money conversation or any, you know, conversation. It's a series of conversations. It's a big stage of your life. Like you said, it's not just one day. It's like could be many, many years for some people, decades. Mm -hmm. Now, because of your expertise and also the other stuff that you've shared personally, I'm wondering, when do you think it's the best time to have this negotiation? Is it in retirement? Is it in your 20s? Is it in your 40s? Like when should couples or even individuals looking at this, when should we be start, start to have this conversation or start to just explore these questions for ourselves? My personal story and my professional observation is age 50. I think your 50th birthday for both people or all people in the party, 50 is kind of a big deal trigger this is a monumental thing and and real people hang on to and understand things like a 50th birthday this was not your 49th birthday so that gives you plenty of runway still before you're going to retire because you may still need to save a lot of money or you may need to make some big decisions or your kids are just going to college or they just finished. So a lot of stuff happens in your 50s. And then, man, you hit 60 and you needed to have some decisions made because not everything can grow. You know, you, you can't grow a garden overnight. These things take time and some nurturing. So you it, it would be very helpful. Now, if you're already 60, then, you know, you didn't get 50 in there. So don't worry about that. Then start today. But I think 50 is sort of this magical number. And if you can start the conversations there, it will ease any potential conflict. Well, it oh. gives you some time and space. I mean, I'm 55 and, and there is, you know, when I was 49 or even 48, 46, mm -hmm. I remember thinking, what's the big deal about 50? And while I don't mind aging yeah. for the most part, there is something at 50 where all of a sudden you look and you go, wow, retirement is like 12, 15 years away. Medicare is 15 years away, Kathleen. <laughs> why, thank you. That's why you're, that's why you're my friend. So, but, but it does hit you differently. So I think that's it, it a does. good benchmark for people. I mean, it, mm -hmm. you can always talk about it. If you're past 50, it's okay to talk about it now. Um, but that's not a nice benchmark to kind of think about halfway through your life, really thinking through what are these conversations? And so I would love to know if you have a workbook or any resources where somebody who is listening in says, you know what, I like what Marsha has to say. I want to see something in writing. I want to see a list of questions or something. Is there anything that you have like that? And if not, I'm going to tell you, you need to write it now. Oh, well, thank you for asking. And yes, I do. I have two things. Well, I have three things. So the first thing is I have a book called What's the Deal with Retirement for women, retirement planning for women. And while it's not just for women, it's just the stories in there were more focused on women and how we sort of approach. That's okay. A large amount of our audience are females or people helping women. So that Excellent. works. It, it's interesting. And I wrote it as 10 key questions that you need to ask and answer before you retire. And what it does do is it sparks conversation between people. It doesn't just have to be a spouse. It can be you and your sister. You know, oh, I never thought about, you know, whatever. Uh, and I don't like to budget, but here's really what I should do. So it is a conversation starter. That's what it was intended to be. As a companion to that piece, I have right now in with my um, designer is a companion workbook that goes with it that covers all these, not all, most of the major topics one would have to think about 
whether they're living in retirement or making the transition to retirement. And that I sit, I use as a, a conversation tool because I'm not a coach, but a conversation tool with people to make sure they're covering the major bases. You know, and it includes topics like, do you have to be responsible for someone else? You know, this is something people don't really necessarily think about in their retirement years, but are you going to be responsible for your mom? You know, is that sort of the family the caregiving question? The yes. caregiving. Absolutely. As well as the travel or, or do you want a second home? Do you want a boat? Do you golf? Do you not? You know, all those kinds of things that it it's the spark that starts the conversation. And that helps. And it, there's a lot of that before we ever get to the money piece. It's like the first half is the what you're going to do, what opportunities are out there, who you can see doing something you like versus somebody you see you don't like what they're doing. That's equally as important. So having that as the first half and the second half is more the financial side. Like, well, can we afford to live in Italy for a year? Well, I don't know. We better look at the numbers. <laughs> That's awesome. Those are great resources. We definitely will put the links in the show notes with anything that we've mentioned today. Um, where can people find out more about you and the work that you do? And I know you are... Um, you know, appearing more and more on some of these lives. So fill uh, us in. Exciting. Well, thank you. Well, they can um, first and foremost see, get info info on the company and on my background on boomerretirementbriefs.com. That's my blog. And I've been blogging for about 10 years and I cover boomers who are doing really cool things in this era called retirement. There's so many interesting people, so many interesting things they do. So that's a fun place to start. You'll get some good stories and you can always reach me through Boomer Retirement Briefs. The other place is for advisors in particular, if you're looking for assistance with building your own retirement business, it's mantelretirementconsulting.com. So there's information there on, on how I support advisors and home offices and such. So those are two really good places. Awesome. Well, Marsha, it is always so fun to chat with you and break money silence with you and talk about retirement or some of these other topics that we've talked about in the past. So thank you so much for breaking money silence again with me today. Thanks for so much for having me back, Kathleen. It is always a pleasure. This episode is sponsored by Plan Well, Be Well. Plan Well, Be Well is a place that connects your financial well-being to your personal well-being. It's a place to inspire and learn, to define your aspirations, to begin articulating what well-being looks like for you, and a place to provide the financial tools needed to achieve your financial goals and live your intended life. Because when you plan well, you can be well, now and in the future. To learn more, visit planwellbewell.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.